Hello and welcome to the Roundhouse Podcast, the brand new official podcast of the Altoona Curve. The Altoona Curve are a minor league baseball team in Altoona, Pennsylvania, a member of the 12-team Eastern League and AA affiliate of the Pittsburgh Pirates. Hi everyone, I am your host Garrett Mansfield, the radio play-by-play voice and director of communications for the Curve. Really glad you're listening and making us a part of your day. Well, as we continue to introduce ourselves on the inaugural episode today, let's talk about the name of the podcast. The Roundhouse is a reference to the railroad industry that founded the city of Altoona. A lot of branding that we do here at the ballpark, it's inspired by the railroaders that put Altoona on the map. The mascot's name is Loco, which is shortened for locomotive. Another example is the Stockyard Team Store. And of course, the name Curve is for the landmark horseshoe curve here in Altoona. Also, if you've ever been to the ballpark, you'll notice the exterior design of People's Natural Gas Field is modeled after a railway roundhouse. Now, the function of a roundhouse is a place that locomotives are stored and serviced inside these structures, and they are all shuffled in and out on a turntable. A turntable ties in the radio aspect of this program also. For the younger kids, a turntable is a rotating platform for records that used to play music before CDs or even cassettes and now are handy mobile devices. So much like a roundhouse, we're going to have a variety of different guests in, spin them around, if you will, and really inspect different areas that they relate to the Altoona Curve. You'll hear from a variety of voices around the ball club to give you an inside look at the latest happenings and unique perspectives around the organization. So that brings us to, well, what has been going on around here? Well, amid a global pandemic, it's been a very interesting time. The minor league baseball season is canceled, but the Curve are an alternative training site for their parent club, the Pittsburgh Pirates, located just 90 miles away from Pittsburgh. So baseball activities are still happening here due to that. If we look back a little further to the 4th of July, we still had a fireworks display here. Maybe you enjoyed that on WTAJ. Maybe you enjoyed that at the ballpark listening on WRTA. We've also been able to get the irresistible curve burgers to fans through happy hours, curbside pickups, and some other events we've been able to do too. So that's, con- that's catching you up here on the curve. Now we look at Major League Baseball. They're back in action. We have baseball news regarding the curve. JT Brubaker on Sunday became the 171st curve alum to reach the majors. He made his Major League debut for the Pirates on Sunday during the Bucks' first win of the season, which was also Derek Shelton's first win as manager. JT looked great, struck out four in two innings, did not give up a run. He's the first curve alum to get to the big leagues for the first time this year, and which will be a very limited number this year. In the years past, we've had you know, near a dozen or more players get to the big leagues for the first time. That's not going to be the case this year. And in fact, we looked at the possibilities of who all could be making major league debuts this year involving the Altoona curve. With the 60-player pools and no minor league season, the path to the big leagues for former curve players and even having current curve players, that's going to dry up that well pretty quickly here in 2020. In fact, we did a look at how many 
possibilities there actually are. And we look at the Minnesota Twins. Drew Maggi is in their player pool. Jake Brents is at the player pool with the Kansas City Royals. Tyler Epler is on the Nationals taxi squad. Wyatt Matheson is at the alternative site for the Arizona Diamondbacks. The Pirates have Blake Suderland, Jared Oliva, Key Brian Hayes, Will Craig, Christian Kelly, Nick Mears, Cody Potts. Those are the former curve players on the alternative site roster that could make their Major League debut this year. Everybody else on the Taxi Squad roster has not played here, or they haven't played at AA period yet. So now that we're on the topic of player pools, taxi squads. Let's transition and get really into that subject because it's the focal point of our organization right now. We'll hear the terms taxi squad, alternative training site, or satellite camp. We've all used those interchangeably to describe kind of what's happened here at PNG Field and other minor league ballparks across the country with the lack of a season and with Major League Baseball's roster rules for this year. And we're going to get right into some specifics of that with our guest today, Adam Barry. Adam is the beat writer for the Pittsburgh Pirates at MLB.com and has covered the team since 2015. Today, we dive into how the 2020 season is set up from the Major League perspective and how the alternative sites play a role in keeping the rosters full of healthy players. We also discuss the different roles for players at the alternative sites and how they fit into the big picture. Adam also shares his outlook for the Bucks this season. I hope you enjoy this conversation as we bring Adam Barry into the Roundhouse. All right, Adam, man, 2020 has been a year of changes, and here we are. We're talking on opening day, and you're talking to us from home with the Pirates starting the season on the road. So that's already different, and everything's different from all of us. Yeah, it, it's very different. Like you said, I'm at home uh, in Pittsburgh while the team is in St. Louis, which is unusual enough. I mean, my job is traveling beat writer covering the Pittsburgh Pirates, and I am not traveling at all this year. You know, it's the health and safety issue. I'm lucky to work for a place that values our health and safety above all, wanting to keep us at home, you know, going to home games and staying as safe as possible and minimizing the risk of spreading the coronavirus. So that part is obviously weird. And then that doesn't even get into the actual mechanics of how we're doing the job now, which is maybe even weirder. You know, we're, we're able to go to the ballpark. We're able to do interviews and stuff, but it's all virtual. I mean, I'm not going to get probably anywhere near a player, coach, manager, uh, you know, trainer, anybody who's going to be on the field this season. So, you know, for the last month straight, basically, we've been doing, uh, you know, these interviews from summer camp on Zoom. You know, we've talked to, to manager Derek Shelton every day. We've talked to a bunch of players, Ben Sherrington, coaches, all those kind of guys uh, remotely. You know, sometimes we've done the interviews from our houses you know, while they're at the ballpark and stuff. So it's been very different um, and unusual, but I do, you know, really appreciate the way that the Pirates have been open and Shelton has been open with allowing us to stay in contact with them and talk to a wide variety of players about their experience through all this, you know, about the way that they're handling all this, and then just sort of, you know, from the, the, the diversion perspective to talk about baseball and kind of preview the season in a way that we weren't able to because spring training ended, you know, two weeks earlier than we expected uh, when everything was shut down. So uh, it's been very different, but I, I think at this point, just given everything we've been through, I've been I'm very excited to actually get back to doing something more closely resembling the job than we've been able to do for the last four months or so. 
But also a lot of the stuff you recapped is stuff that's happened in the last month or so from about March 12th until, you know, the startup in July 1st. Did it feel like Groundhog Day every day? <laughs> yeah, it was either that, you know, just kind of saying, all right, we're still waiting for information about how the season's going to start and still waiting for health and safety protocols and all that stuff. But, you know, one thing I think MLB.com encouraged us to do was kind of get out of our shells a little bit and out of our comfort zones and do uh, different stories. You know, we did a lot of historical lookbacks and stuff, um, you know, looking at, you know, best players at each position in franchise history. I wrote a, a story on the 16th anniversary of Rob McCobiak's big day for the Pirates when he came up and hit, you know, a grand, walk, or, you know, grand slam on the day his uh, first son was born. So we got to do some different kind of stuff, but, you know, it, it was definitely different not having the routine of going to the ballpark every day. And, you know, you wake up and you work from home, which is not a thing that, you know, any of us are used to, you know, when it's not the off season and you're not talking about transactions and stuff. So uh, it was definitely really weird the last, you know, four months before summer camp started, just not really knowing what was going to happen next. And my joke was always that like one tweet from Jeff Passon or Ken Rosenthal could completely change the outlook of my entire day, if not my entire <laughs> life, you know, for, for, for until as long as it took to get the next tweet. And it's nice to not be living in that place anymore no offense to those guys but it's nice to uh to know that we have something a little more normal happening right now oh absolutely i think there were probably three or four moments from the minor league perspective where something like that happened yeah and uh, fortunately uh they were able to squash that and delay that but now here we are and things are very different for these minor league franchises uh you know with the you know, a majority of the taxi squads being implemented in minor league parks. We'll get to that uh, in here, here in a little bit. Now they've trimmed down the opening day roster. As we're listening back to this, the season is now underway a couple days in. Now with the season where the roster was finalized, did you have any surprises or anything interesting that you looked at that thought that, okay, this is the direction of 2020? I would say it wasn't terribly surprising, if only because I think we all realized that the, you know, the, the morning of the last, the last exhibition game they played against Cleveland, we realized that there were roughly 31 active and healthy players in camp at PNC Park, and they had to get the roster down to 30. So they didn't have a whole lot of moves left to make at that point, but they still managed to get in one uh, kind of surprise, I guess. I, I hadn't been thinking about it in the way that they, they wound up doing it, which was that they, they promoted Jason Martin, who was initially assigned to the alternate trading site there in Altoona, to the Major League roster. Um, that was kind of surprising just because he hadn't been in the sort of big league camp with the Pirates throughout this uh, throughout this process. So that was a little bit surprising, but the more I thought about it, it made sense. You know, Martin is basically a speed and defense option uh, off the bench. I'm pretty confident that they're going to get Gregory Polanco back relatively soon uh, to start the season. Uh, Martin was already on the 40-man roster. He's a good player. He's a left-handed hitter. He does a lot of interesting things. Uh, so that one was a little bit surprising just because we hadn't seen Martin in camp, but I, I definitely understand the thought process behind it. I'd say everything else sort of fell the way that we expected it to based on how unusual the first camp was. You know, we came into the summer camp thinking maybe Cabrian Hayes will, you know, fight for a spot on the opening day roster, and maybe Blake Cederland will show that he d deserves a spot in the opening day bullpen. Obviously, those guys had to sit out a long time after testing positive for COVID-19, which hurt their chances that were already, you know, a little bit slim in the first place. But uh, I would say, you know, beyond stuff like that, that just kind of made itself clear early in camp, that the only real sort of surprise was Martin and his inclusion on the opening day roster. Sure, yeah, that's, that's a good option for the Pirates to have that extra outfield, especially with 
with Polanco down, Keone Kella, another name that is not right now not on the roster. But what has to happen next is, okay, you have the 30 man at the start of the season. You have to get down to 28 in two weeks. Then you have to go down to 26, and that means this taxi squad roster is going to grow. How do you see those cuts coming? Yeah, it's kind of funny. I mean, we've joked before that they should treat it like Survivor, where they have to get together and they vote people out every two weeks <laughs> rather than just, you know, the decision coming from the GM and manager. But, you know, I, I think you'll see spots kind of clarify themselves as this kind of goes on. Like, odds are they're starting the season with this sort of piggyback fifth spot in the rotation involving Stephen Brault and Chad Cool. I don't necessarily think that's the kind of thing that will carry on throughout the entire season you know as as those guys start to get stretched out you'll probably see one of them claim that spot on his own and then the other one can go to the bullpen and that means that somebody in the current bullpen can go back to the, the player pool alternate training site in Altoona you know maybe that's a JT Brew Baker type somebody who has no major league experience but maybe opening day roster because they needed uh, you know somebody who's capable of pitching multiple innings I thought Brew Baker looked great uh, in summer camp and I've heard a lot of good things about him going back to his first spring training uh, with the Pirates. But, you know, it, it, that's the kind of guy who might be more valuable stretched out in Altoona than he is not pitching in Pittsburgh because he's an emergency starter who you can call up on a moment's notice, maybe even put him on the three-man taxi squad that travels with the team just in case somebody wakes up like we saw with the, the Nationals on opening night where, you know, Juan Soto tests or, you know, Juan Soto tests positive and he can't play. You need somebody to fill his spot. Or, you know, a, a Clayton Kershaw situation on opening night where he woke up couldn't start because of a back injury and you need somebody to fill his spot. So depth is going to be super important, which is why that alternate training site in Altoona is so important because you need those guys to stay ready. You need them competing against each other, you know, just for the major league team. And that's not even necessarily getting into yet the player development importance of that site because it is for now the only active player development activity taking place in baseball this year. So it's, it's a really important kind of site and process for the Pirates this year. Yeah, it's a perfect time now to just unpack what this taxi squad means. What's the purpose? You kind of dove into it a little bit there, but this isn't a new thing exactly because you, you mentioned, you know, there there are guys uh, right now this year, there's at least three that they can travel extra, but oftentimes these are players in AAA or if you're the Washington Nationals of 2019, you're stashed in Harrisburg today, so you don't have to travel across the country to get to, to D.C. for a quick call-up. So the ta taxi squad is more like an insider term, but it's becoming much more mainstream here in the last uh, couple of months. So if you want to dive into how it normally is and now how it's changed to be more of an official term. Yeah, normally, you know, the, the teams will put guys on the taxi squad, which is the actual it's kind of complicated, too, because of the terminology that we're having to add for this season. You know, like the Pirates have at times referred to that group in Altoona, the entire group, as their taxi squad. But technically, the actual taxi squad is the group of up to three players traveling with them this season. You know, it, it, to start the season, it's just Andrew Susak, the catcher, uh, you know, so they can have an emergency catcher on site in St. Louis. And he is the one-man taxi squad, which feels more like just kind of Andrew Susak's Uber than a taxi squad, you know. It's just it's just them there. But normally, the taxi squad is not quite so official and confirmed. It's players that they have basically staying at the team hotel 
uh, for whatever, in case somebody gets injured, in case they need somebody, in case they've heard that a player might not be active for injury or paternity list or, you know, a, a personal situation where they have to leave, you bring up somebody there just in case to have with them. And that, that was never really before an official thing that teams would tell us about. But now, you know, since it is part of this new rules and roster kind of system, they are letting us know that these are the people on the taxi squad. The best example I can give of how the taxi squad used to work is that one day in Texas uh, last season, we were all kind of standing around the clubhouse waiting to talk to, I think it was Josh Bell, about playing near his home in Arlington. And we're all standing down there, and we see Stephen Barron, the catcher who was in AAA Indianapolis last season, come riding by on a golf cart. He wasn't on the active roster. He wasn't on the 40-man roster, but he was at the ballpark presumably in case Francisco Cervelli uh, tested negative for, or tested positive when he went through his concussion protocol or something along those lines. Nobody told us about that, and we wouldn't have even known he was there unless we saw him ride by us on a golf cart. So that's the way the taxi squad used to work. Now it's a little more official. Now it's something that almost feels mandatory, just given the uncertainty about the virus and the way that it's going to affect rosters throughout the entire season. No, that's, that's great. It's a great explanation. And couldn't have said it any better myself. So now we look at the different kinds of players on these taxi squad rosters or the alternate site roster, the the different lingo that we're trying to learn on the fly here. And you see a lot of MLB backups, guys with some major league experience, but also you see younger players assigned to Altoona in the Pirates organization. You see it in the Tigers system, number one pick overall. Spencer Torkelson is, is in camp with them in Toledo. And a similar situation with the Pirates sending their first-round pick, Nick Gonzalez, to Altoona after signing. So there's this big mix of, of players here for different reasons. Yeah, that's a really fascinating way, to, fascinating way to look at it, is that you know when the Pirates initially announced that, that group that was going to Altoona, it was more leaning toward that major league backup type player. You know, it was... Uh, you know, a, a Sam Howard or a Christian Kelly or, you know, somebody who, if the situation called for it, they could go up to the majors and not, you know, not be embarrassed. They could hold their own at the major league level. Jared Oliver would be another good example. Cody Ponce, somebody who is major league ready or close enough to it because this is your depth. These are the only players you can call on this season to come up and play. So you need guys there. Who, who are going to be capable of playing. You know, you can't just stock the, the group with your 10 best prospects who would stand no chance if they were called up to the majors. So that was kind of the way the Pirates approached it first, albeit with a little bit of balance of these kind of mid-level prospects who are at a turning point in their career where they really need to be on the field. I think Chief Juan Bay would fit into that category. I think Cody Bolton would fit into that category. O'Neill Cruz is kind of in between. You know, they need to evaluate him, but also he's not terribly far away uh, from the majors. Uh, so guys like that would definitely qualify. But then you saw something interesting when the Pirates had a couple spots open up in their player pool. And the first thing they did was add these young, high-ceiling prospects who aren't ready for the majors. Nick Gonzalez, Leover Pagaro, you know, who was acquired in the Starling Marte trade. So I think you've seen them adjust a little bit based on the way that the league, you mentioned the Tigers were a team that did this, kind of utilize that player pool that, you know, yes, you can use it for major league backups and you have to have your depth there. But also, since I mentioned earlier, this is your only organized player development activity taking place this year that you know of right now. You need to get those guys on the field who are going to be building blocks of your organization. So I thought it was really interesting the Pirates did that with Gonzalez and Peguero. And one thing Ben Sherrington, the general manager, mentioned is that they felt it was more important to do that with position players like them 
than with a pitcher like, say, Quinn Priester, uh, their first-round pick from a year ago, because they think it's easier to replicate the development activity necessary as a pitcher, get off a bullpen mound, throw, they'll track it with Rapsodo and TrackMan and all that kind of stuff, than it is for a hitter where you need to face live pitching. You need those ground balls hit to you. You know, you need uh, to be in the batter's box, and you can't replicate that in your backyard. So I, I think it's a really, really fascinating experiment and just the way that teams are using these groups and then, you know, the depth that might be required and how these guys might get pushed up to the majors as the season goes on, even while the actual roster size is shrinking. So it's a really interesting kind of group, and I'm kind of fascinated. I know they're basically just working out right now, but it's kind of, a, in theory, a very fascinating uh, experiment going on over there. Yeah, absolutely. And for me, just to, to watch some of these things happen, I mean, even in the simulated games, they're pumping crowd noise in to make it feel as real as they can for if and when that call for these guys happens. So they're 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 doing their best. It's you said it best. It's an experiment, and we're all trying to navigate this uh, on our own to get specifically to some player development issues. Like, is it, who's who really moves the needle for you? Who was the most interesting person to get assigned out here? Yeah, I think. Let's see. I mean, Cabrian Hayes is obviously fascinating because he's, you know, the top position player prospect. He's so good defensively, and he missed so much time in camp, but you expect to see him in the majors. I'm always interested in him. And then I think probably the most fascinating prospect in baseball, not just in Pirates camp, is O'Neill Cruz. You know, a six seven shortstop who has a ton of raw power, a cannon for an arm, but still a lot of questions about what he's going to be as he kind of grows into his body. I think he's such a fascinating guy to watch you know, that maybe they don't want him in the majors this year, even though he came into camp and said that was his goal back when, you know, we thought we were going to have a normal season. Uh, and, you know, but it's not, it may not be realistic this year, but I think the way that they handle him is going to give us an idea of how Ben Charrington and Steve Sanders are approaching player development and the urgency of bringing players up to the majors. Because one thing Sherrington was known for in Boston was having no fear about calling up prospects from double A after very little time in triple A, just, you know, throwing them right into the fire. Jackie Bradley Jr. I think is a good example of that. Whereas with Neil Huntington and the Pirates, they were a lot more cautious in part because they felt like they called up some guys like Pedro Alvarez and Gregory Polanco too early uh, back earlier last decade. So uh, I think you're going to see maybe a little bit more of an aggressive uh, approach from Charrington, which maybe means that, you know, O'Neill Cruz doesn't need a full year in AAA before he comes up. Or maybe Cody Bolton, you know, once it looks like he's ready, he could be up in the major league rotation or helping out of the bullpen or something along those lines. So uh, I think it's guys like that that I'm interested in, in how they represent not only, you know, the development, but kind of the approach toward player development that the Pirates are going to have under Ben Charrington going forward. And one of the things I've noticed with, with Charrington as he's now acquired two shortstops since he's held the office. And there are three shortstops in the organization before that that he inherited. What's with all these shortstops? Yeah, I was looking down. I was looking, I'm looking at the roster right now, and I'm like, uh, one catcher and Christian Kelly, you know, a couple outfielders, Jared Oliver, Travis Swaggerty, another guy that I'm really interested in, uh, Socrates Brito is there, and a heck of a lot of shortstops. <laughs> and that's not even <laughs> counting, like you said, Kevin Newman, Cole Tucker, Eric Gonzalez, uh, JT Riddle up in, up in the big leagues, all guys who are capable of playing shortstops. And then Nick Gonzalez and Leo Figueroa down there. Uh, I, th- I think it's really interesting because, you know, obviously you don't draft for need. You don't even necessarily acquire prospects for need. 
because things change so rapidly. I mean, I'm old enough to remember when the Pirates had too many outfielders in the big leagues, and then J.B. Shuck started on opening day last year. You know, there, there's things change in a hurry, and I think, especially in player development, where you know, I mentioned Cruz, he's gonna he's gonna keep growing into his body. He's gonna put on weight. I don't. I think he could stick at shortstop for now, but he might be a right fielder in the future. He might be a first baseman. He might be a center fielder. He might be. He could be anything. I think. So you know, he might move, and then you might see Nick Gonzalez move to second base. A lot of evaluators think that might happen. We're seeing Cole Tucker play the outfield right now with literally no training, and he went out there and he made a heck of a play in the Pirates exhibition game in Cleveland the other night, just based on his natural athleticism. So I think the, you know, Charrington is really targeted athletes. He's targeted. Uh, players with upside, and a lot of times you're going to see your highest upside players lining up at shortstop to start their careers because you know that's where they have the most range and they sh- you know they show the most ability and it's kind of like little league that's just where you put your best player <laughs> you either pitch him or you yeah. put him at shortstop. So uh, I think the Pirates have taken that approach to a certain extent. It's just getting the best players, getting the best athletes. We'll see where they fit, you know, when the time comes and when it's necessary to get them to the majors and make out a lineup, but. You know, I, I can't really fault Charrington and, and Steve Sanders and the rest of the front office for the players that they targeted. I mean, Nick Gonzalez has a high upside bat. Leo Figueroa is a really interesting player. You know, I, some people have compared him to, to Gene Segura, who has moved around the infield a little bit in his career. Maybe Figueroa will do the same thing. Um, so I think it's more about just letting these guys develop, letting them get ready for the majors, and then figure out the playing time and positions as they show that they're ready for that point. Yeah, Adam Frazier is an example of that. He's, he's bounced around, and certainly uh, old regime, but certainly part of the plans right now. Tons of top prospects on the MLB.com rankings. You're the writer for the Pirates for MLB.com, so we'll, we'll default to their rankings here. So of the taxi squad, Key Brian Hayes, O'Neill Cruz, Alvaro Piguero, Travis Swaggerty, Jared Oliva, Cody Bolton. That's just the top ten and then Ji-Huan Bay, uh, no Cal Mitchell, which I thought was a little surprising at first, but Mason Martin is indeed here. Uh, Will Craig, Max Kranich, and uh, we go even further down the list, Aaron Shortridge, Blake Cedarland, uh, who, who, as you said earlier, uh, would, would, would have had an outside shot at some role in the bullpen and very well could find his way there at some point in 2020. So prospects all over the place here in Altoona as it would be during a normal summer, and who knows how many of these guys would have been curve players here in 2020. Yeah, that's a, that's a point I hadn't really thought of. I mean, O'Neill Cruz might have come back, right, to start the season. Maybe Cody Bolden would have been back in that rotation, uh, you know, to start the, the season this year if they'd had a normal minor league season. You know, I wouldn't even put it past them to have pushed Nick Gonzalez, you know, if he started – you know, in a high, you know, maybe he goes to Bradenton or something and starts an aggressive assignment at Class A or High A. I think that's a guy who's going to move through the system pretty fast. You know, maybe it wouldn't be 2020, but maybe 2021. I mean, there's a lot of guys on this list who you probably would have seen under normal circumstances uh, this season, which, you know, it's a pretty interesting group because the Pirates actually probably have even more prospects who are, would have been in around Class A Greensboro this year. Uh, you know, a pretty interesting pitchers led by uh, Priester, Tanaj Thomas, and Brennan Malone, who you might now see in a year or two up there as well. And we're not even going to see those guys in Altoona or in Pittsburgh or anything this year. So it's a pretty interesting system. You know, I understand it's not one of the top-rated farm systems in baseball or anything, but they, they have some interesting depth, and I think they have a little bit more upside uh, looking at looking at the group of prospects than we might have thought at this time last year. Yeah, depth I think this year is going to be important 
and as it is, well, any other year, but we look at the Universal DH as we transition to, to more a little bit more Major League talk, and that opens up a, a roster spot or, or at least a job for, for somebody else here in 2020. First of all, before we get into like the specifics of who that could be, what that role could look like, who in, is in Altoona that seems prototypical for that or at least to help out the Major League team, you used to cover the Rays before the Pirates, so you've seen this yeah. plenty. It's plenty. Are you a fan of the DH? Are you a fan of it in the National League? I guess two-pronged question. Yeah, I, I like the DH in part because one of the things I like about professional sports is just seeing the people who are the best in the world at something do the thing that they're the best in the world at. And pitchers, God love them, even though some of them think that they are, are not the best in the world at hitting. We've seen the numbers over the last you know, however many years. They're not good. You know, it's it's an automatic out more often than not. So from that perspective, like, yes, I love the idea that we're going to see nine hitters line up against the pitcher. And, you know, it's a legitimate challenge and the leagues are even way. You know, you can't say, oh, this NL pitcher is not as good as this AL pitcher because he didn't have to face, you know, a DH every, every night that he puts him out or whatever. So from that perspective, I like it. I definitely understand that people are going to miss certain strategical elements of, uh, you know, the way that the NL is involved as far as when you pinch hit and, you know, how you, how you handle that spot in the lineup and everything along those lines and, you know, how you, you know, shuffle guys in and out of the lineup when you don't have that DA spot to rest guys. So I definitely get that part of it. And I think there is part of me that will miss that, you know, part of the game and that part of the questioning the manager about the moves that he made or whatever and second guessing and all that kind of stuff. But from the perspective of actually watching the game, I mean, even these exhibition games, these the last week or so, it's, I don't really think it stood out to me in a way that like, oh, yeah, I miss watching Trevor Williams go up there and drop a sack bunt. From that perspective, I think I'm in favor, especially this year. Just let the pitchers get ready to, you know, to pitch every fifth day and focus on that. And then we'll see what happens going forward. No, for sure. I I grew up watching American League Baseball. I never saw a, a pitcher hit in person until I started working in minor league baseball. So that's kind of how I've grown accustomed to it. And, you know, I, I'm excited to see how it, how it turns out, uh, the one guy that came up in my mind when this was brought about for this rule change was Will Craig, because not just as, oh, he can go up in DH, no, 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 he can go up and play first base with, you know, with them rotating the, the DH, but, you know, he's obviously still here, but it's just the fact that that extra bat is in the lineup. So how do you see the Pirates using this extra spot in the lineup in 2020? Yeah, they're pretty clear that they're going to rotate people through that spot. I mean, you know, I think a lot of people had a version of that conversation with Jose Osuna, you know, when the, when the DH was announced that, okay, now you just DH Josh and Jose Osuna can play first base. Or, you know, you put somebody at third base and Colin Moran can DH. Or you put somebody in right field and Gregory Polanco will DH. They're not going to use it that way. They're going to rotate mostly those guys through the DH spot and, you know, try to keep them, get them off their feet. Uh, to keep them rested so they can play every day this year, which makes sense, and I understand that. It will provide more opportunity for a guy like Osuna, somebody like Cole Tucker, maybe an Eric Gonzalez, who's a pretty good fielder, uh, Guillermo Heredia, who's a good defensive fourth outfield type. Uh, so I, I think you'll see basically that rotation take place. But then you're right. I mean, looking to the future, if this does continue to exist, it does provide a path to playing time for somebody like Will Craig as long as he – you know, continues to take steps forward offensively and sort of puts together the, the two sides of his offensive profile where he hits for average and gets on base, but then more recently where he's shown a ton of power at the plate. So 
uh, I think it does create an interesting opportunity for him. Somebody like Mason Martin, who's shown a ton of power, you know, if Josh Bell sticks around or Craig eventually establishes himself at first base, it would provide an opportunity for a guy like that who hits a ton of home runs, which is something they need, and they don't have a great deal of in their system. And then for all the questions we have about O'Neill Cruz and what position he's going to play, maybe he's a DH by the time he reaches the majors. Who knows? Yeah. So I, I think it's pretty fascinating just the opportunities it gives these guys. It solves some of what we were talking about earlier with the shortstop thing. You know, okay, you have too many shortstops. Well, you know, now you can put one of them at second base and you can put the worst defender among them at DH and you can go about it that way. So uh, I think the Pirates do have some options. I don't think you're going to see a ton of teams use have that traditional you know, bulky, you know, late 30s slugger, that David Ortiz type who just DHs every day. And I saw that in Tampa Bay where they used to DH as more or less a rotating thing uh, once we got into the late, you know, the mid to late 2010s. So uh, that's my guess as far as the way the Pirates are going to use it, which makes sense considering Derek Shelton were under Joe Madden in Tampa Bay. Yeah, that's a great point about Shelton and how he was groomed to be this manager. So for him, what do you see? For their first year under uh, under Derek Shelton and the outlook for the 2020 Pirates, some things to look out for, but also some roadblocks that could be in the way. Yeah, I think you know it's still largely the same roster that lost you know 93 games last season. They are probably Ben Sherrington has talked a lot about building towards something. You know, going toward the future, he says not a rebuild. They're building towards something because he believes the foundation is already there. So I think the most important thing that they can show. The two most important things they can show under Sheldon are a cohesive clubhouse, something that I think they've really had since spring training. And then throughout the summer camp, you know, just a group of guys all pulling in the same direction, people who are happy to be at work every day, people who like playing for the manager. And so far we've seen exactly that. Sheldon, I just wrote about this uh, on Pirates.com the morning of opening day. You know, Shelton has been waiting a long time for this opportunity, and he's learned a lot along the way. But one thing that people have seen in him, really since he was, a, as he would describe himself, a very poor minor league catcher, is that people people gravitate toward him. People like being around him. And you cannot say enough about how important that is to have a manager. So I think that is one thing the Pirates will have going for them this year. The other thing they need to show is just progress. You know, they need to show that, they're, that their players are getting better. And I, I think that's a big key uh, under Rick Eckstein last year, the hitting coach, you know, you saw guys like Brian Reynolds and Josh Bell and Kevin Newman take big steps forward. And Colin Moran even got more comfortable with, with some of his approach at the plate and, the, you know, not worrying about mechanics as much. And you need to see that from the pitchers this year under new pitching coach Oscar Moran. And, you know, players have raved about Oscar and bullpen coach Justin Message throughout spring training and summer camp. They love the guy. They think he's making analytics understandable, you know, that he is helping them understand their arsenal and how they can get the most out of their stuff. And even if it doesn't show up in wins and losses and ERA and whip and all that stuff this year, I think the most important thing that they can do is show that they are getting better, you know, that they're going to make the most out of the talent they have. So that as Ben Charrington continues to add talent to the organization, to the minor league system, they're going to be able to capitalize on what they have when they do reach the majors. And, you know, I don't, I don't know if this is a 500 team this year. I, I probably most of the projections have them around 25 to 27 wins. Which, you know, with expanded playoffs might be good enough to get them into the postseason this year. But I I would say it's probably they might fall somewhere around there. But the most important thing they can kind of show is just that, hey, they're building towards something better in the future. And that future might be closer than we would have thought it was coming off of the 69 win season last year. Oh, of course. And I, I have one more question for you. And you might have leaned right into it when you were talking about pitching, because I asked this about the taxi squad. 
But on the MLB roster, who is the man to be watching out for this year? Yeah, I think I just had to pick a team Cy Young the other day, and I, I picked Joe Musgrove because, you know, he's the opening day starter. He's he's probably shown the most uh, ability in the majors so far. You know, he has six pitches. He, he did some really interesting things last September after he tweaked his delivery, and he's another guy who's really going to benefit, I think, from working with Oscar Marine because, he, you know, he really dives into the analytics. He wants to understand his stuff. Uh, so Musgrove is probably the safe pick there. But the one that I'm really fascinated to watch this year, maybe the most important player on the Pirates in some ways, is Mitch Keller. He's still technically their top prospect because he hasn't graduated from that status yet, uh, you know, because the number of innings he pitched last year. But he's the number three starter breaking camp. He has top of the rotation type stuff, you know, big fastball that sneaks up on you, big curveball that's a swing and miss pitch, a slider that he basically just made up out of nowhere last year, and he felt better about his changeup uh, coming into coming out of the summer camp. He's a, you know, he's a really smart kid. He's really bright. He works hard. It's the kind of guy that I think if he gets comfortable and settles in and works with the right pitching coach in Oscar Marine, he could change the rotation and kind of establish himself as an anchor of that group for years to come. So he's definitely the guy that I think I'm going to be the most interested to watch uh, of any player on the Pirates this season. And I think he probably still has the highest upside of anybody in that rotation. So really interested to watch Mitch Keller this year. Yeah, and he is a legend out in these parts. So, Adam, I can't thank you enough for taking some time for us today. Glad you're able to get back to the ballpark, at least in Pittsburgh, for the time being. But what you and your colleagues are going through is, you know, it shows that your guys' work is right now about as important as it's ever been to bring these games and insight, very important insight, to all the fans who can't get enough of, uh, of the content you guys are putting out right now. Yeah, man, I'm excited to be back at it. I'm excited that you're back in a ballpark right now. I'm just excited that baseball is back. However weird everything else is right now, it's, uh, it's good to see. Of course. Well, Adam, thank you so much. Best of luck during the season and stay safe out there. And there you have it. Thanks again goes to Adam Barry for making time for us and really diving into those topics around the taxi squad and into the Pittsburgh Pirates as the Major League season begins for 2020. We plan on getting to much more about the taxi squad and much more happening around the curve on future episodes of this podcast. We hope you enjoyed this one. So be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the Roundhouse on your podcast platform to let us know what you think of the show and to make it easier for others to discover the discussions happening. If you have questions or topics you'd like to hear us talk about on the show, email me, gmansfield at altunacurve.com. That's the letter G, M-A-N-S-F-I-E-L-D, at altunacurve.com. Stay plugged in to the curve at altunacurve.com about upcoming events, news, and more. The Stockyard Team Store is open for virtual business 24-7, 365, or at least this year, 366 with the leap year in 2020. For you to get your newest curve attire, like the old-time fitted baseball cap, that is our merch item of the week. Caps, jerseys, t-shirts, and more. Visit AltunaCurve.com to shop now. The Curve are also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for you to get a glimpse of the Pirates training at the ballpark or head over to the Around the Curve blog site for articles and get your dose of Today in Curve history. Find out what happened on this day, tomorrow, and every other day of the calendar year in curve history. All of that and much more can be found at altunacurve.com. Look at that right-hand side and you'll find all of those offshoots of Altuna Curve Media. That's all I have for you today. Again, I am Garrett Mansfield. 
Thanks for listening to the first episode of The Roundhouse, the official podcast of the Altoona Curve.